welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. Saturday morning, the sun is shining. Good morning, Pori Cork, and how morning, are you? Good morning, Good morning, listeners. I'm great. Beautiful, beautiful, another beautiful week. Uh, yeah, amazing Be- week, in oh, fairness. It's been fantastic, yeah. really. It's been Indian really... summer, definitely. It has. It's been great, really, and, and lots of uh, great gardening weather, lots of opportunity for people to get out into the gardening. And uh, just, I was, you know, even just noticing the amount of plants that are drying out yeah. in tubs and containers and hanging baskets and you know, it's funny like how a few days starts to dry, particularly the plants are in flower. You see, they're using up lots and lots of water. So people should keep an eye out for they that. They should, yeah. I, actually, that was something I noticed myself because, you know, we're so used to in Ireland, I suppose, to having the bitter rain bitter to rain, yeah. balance things out. But it has been so dry over it the has. last couple of weeks um, that the, like, uh, the couple of sunflowers that I have were, I looked out one morning and they were really drooping the leaves. And I said, oh, quick. They were screaming, out. screaming, yeah, screaming for, screaming a bit of water. for water. And then by the evening, they had all perked up yeah, again. So, yeah. you know, listeners that have hanging baskets, window boxes, anything in flower will need plenty of watering, you know, every maybe third or fourth day and liquid feeding if you continue to liquid feed plants they're going to flower that bit longer because they've nearly kicked back into growth again and plants will put on new flowers uh, so you know it's well worth watering and feeding at the moment um, so keep an eye on that I mentioned last week about cuttings so I actually brought yeah, you, you in brought a geranium in, yeah, plant I didn't get it now this is part of it's on the to-do list the old uh, the, the, the hydrangea but this week yeah, well, it's a just I the, promise. the weather conditions and the time of year is perfect for taking cuttings, but particularly people love geraniums and geraniums are one of the easiest plants to, to uh, propagate from cuttings, particularly at this time of year. Now, this shoot that I brought in is actually flowering. You can see this flowering mm-hmm. head on top and it's important that that's removed. Right? Okay, so, so we, we take, take off the, the we top. Take off the flowering head and we take off then all the lower foliage. Right. Just remove right down, just leaving that very small leaf that's at the top of the cutting. So See that's, that small, a, is that, that's a new growth leaf? That's just, it? yeah, it's just a young, just you leave one small leaf right at the very top of the cutting. Now the unusual thing with, with most cuttings, you insert them straight away into some rooting powder mm-hmm. and then you'd insert the cutting into uh, a mixture of compost, something like the John Innes compost, mixed with a bit of perlite or vermiculite or sand to give it that nice gritty mixture. And a short little cutting, that's only what, about four or five inches long. Right. So in a pot, say the size of the cup, you would fit anything up to 10 or 12 cuttings. So in the size of oh, a traditional uh, well, right. teacup, mm. that's the, if you get a pot that size with good drainage in it, fill it with that gritty compost mix and take your cuttings then, about eight or 10 cuttings will fit comfortably into that. So you can put them quite close together. And then once you have the, the compost, should be reasonably moist, but not too wet. Just cover with a polythene bag and the cuttings will root. So things like hydrangeas and fuchsias and potentillas and all of those plants will root very readily from cuttings. Geraniums are slightly different in that when you do prepare the cutting, as I've done there, mm-hmm. it's better to leave it for about a day to slightly dry out. Oh, right. Because they contain a lot of moisture, geraniums, and they do like, the, particularly the base of the cutting, it's better to leave it for about 24 hours, maybe on a warm windowsill or somewhere in the house, just to dry slightly before putting it into the rooting powder and going through the process. But it's, I mentioned it last week that coming into September, mid-September in particular, and right into October, it's a great time to propagate plants that you like around the garden or in a neighbour's garden, take cuttings of them now, remove the flowers, remove the leaves, and it's quite in, in a very small area. You can actually so in a, in a seed tray or a deep tray, you could put anything up to fifty or sixty uh, plants, plants into it. Okay. Yeah. So so a good time to do that. The other thing I was thinking about was the weather conditions and the soil conditions are great at the moment. The soil is very workable, and people with potatoes still in the ground mm-hmm. should consider lifting those. So main crop 
potatoes, things like the Kerpinks and the Records, the Roosters, um, Satanta, all of those varieties, I would lift out of the soil now while the soil conditions are still so good. So the soil is very easy to work at the moment. If we leave it a couple of weeks, we could be back into very wet weather right. and it's, it's difficult to harvest. Then, yeah. So start to harvest a lot of the, particularly the main crop potatoes. And once you do that, it gives you the opportunity to plant something new. So you could put in things like Savoy cabbage plants, which are available at the moment. They're the lovely curly, uh, crispy cabbage that grows through the winter period and is ready to, for cutting in February and March of next year. So it's that kind of really curly, the curly one, dark yeah. green with a kind of a, a very yellow white or yellow centred uh, head. They're good. Another good variety is one called Duncan which ha- produces very solid round heads of ca- cabbage. If you like the kind of coleslaw type cabbage mm-hmm. that's solid white head. That's another one to look out for at the moment. Uh, broccoli the purple sprouting broccoli that's ready for going in now and again will grow through the winter period allowing you to pick it from about April, March, April of next year right through to early summer so they can go in now. Onions, seeds and sets can be planted at this time of year and things like winter lettuce can all be planted. So you could still sow some seed of plants but the plants, many of the vegetable plants are available at the moment for putting into the soil. So if you get some of your veg out, till the soil over, a small bit of uh, fertiliser like mm-hmm. Seamongus or Vitex and then plant some of the plants in. A little bit of slug control would be important but that will give you something that will grow through the winter period many of those plants like to grow during the cool periods of autumn and winter um, so certainly the the broccoli the cabbage varieties that I mentioned the winter lettuce the onions um, they'll be super for planting at this time of year um, winter carrots I talked about a variety called Eskimo which yes. again is a good one to sow again you can still sow it at this time of year and it grows through the cooler pe- periods of the winter allowing you to pick it then in in uh, you know, April, May, June of next year. Peas, the, I talked about sweet peas last week, but garden peas, the edible types, again can be sown at this time of year, particularly the round seed, not the marifat type. Right. So the round seed. So a variety like meteor is a very good one to sow. So they're the ones we kind of call the traditional garden traditional peas. Traditional garden peas, that kind of solid round pea. You can sow them at this time of year. You can use the shoots. So you can use the shoots in springtime like asparagus. So the shoots are edible in March and early April. If you pinch them at that time of year, you can physically eat the shoots, but then that helps to help get the plant to branch out and produce lots of peas for you in early summer. So they can be sown now and they're totally winter hardy um, and they can go into the garden. So they're the sort of things that can be done in the veg garden. In the fruit garden, I was advocating for people to pick the apples because they are beginning to fall, the wasps are getting them. So continue to pick. Even if you pick unripe apples, they will ripen indoors. So wrap them, clean them off, make sure they're not bruised or damaged. Put them into pieces of newspaper or brown paper and store them in boxes in a cool area and they'll ripen. Generally, the, the red apples are ready pretty soon now, but other varieties will will we'll be ready kind of in late September, October sort of period. Um, winter heathers, it's a good time yep. to plant if you want colour for the winter period or if you're thinking of doing a heather bed, then this September is a good time to put in winter flowering heathers which come into flower in the beginning of October and flower through till May of next year. So they're flowering for nearly six months of the year. And how do they work in pots, uh, the heathers? Are they, Super. Is it advisable or is it an, is it an option, I suppose? Absolutely, people? yeah. It's a great way. Some of them are actually in flower at the moment, particularly the Kaluna varieties. They tend to flower late summer, autumn, early winter period. They're just starting to flower now. They're lovely in window boxes, um, you know, planted containers, patio containers, if you want some colour for the autumn and winter period. Or say you want to do maybe a, an arrangement on a grave 
the heathers are great because they're winter hardy, they're very tolerant to wind uh, and they're undemanding really. So they work very well both in containers but also it's good if you're thinking of putting in a bit of winter colour. If you had a slope maybe in the garden or kind of a tough area in the garden that's well lit, that's bright, heathers do really well. Plant them in clusters of fives or sevens of the one type to get that clustered effect and you can always mix a few dwarf conifers or shrubs between them just mm. for a bit of height difference and also a bit of contrast as yeah. well. But it's it's they're available at the moment. It's a good time to plant them. The other thing just to mention when you're when you are picking the apple tr- apple plants it's or the apple fruit, mm-hmm. it's a good time to prune them back now as well. So shorten back the you'll, you'll you notice a lot of leggy growth, particularly this year the growth has been very significant on lots of trees, but particularly on fruit trees. So we've got on a typical apple tree you've got two or three feet of long, whippy growth. That should be shortened back by two two-thirds, even though the leaves are still on them, right. it's a good idea to prune them back. So where you've got a stem of maybe three feet in height, shorten it back by two feet. So just leave a foot of the stem remaining on the on the new growth. And that'll produce flower buds then over the winter period. And particularly this sort of heat, I'm predicting a very good fruiting year for next year because if we get this sort of high temperatures in the autumn, it helps to produce flower buds on fruiting plants, which obviously then come into bloom the following spring. Mm. So prune back your trees at this time of year. Again, use the good weather rather than leaving it till October or November. Shorten back a lot of that whippy growth. And the likes of pears could be pruned as well. The fruit won't be picked on pears for another month, but you could certainly prune back any of that whippy growth. Other fruiting plants like blackcurrants could be pruned this time of year. Gooseberries can be pruned this time of year. Raspberries, uh, the autumn fruiting varieties are just beginning to fruit now. So wait until the fruit, you've picked the fruit and then cut the stems right back. Summer fruiting uh, raspberries have already been picked. So any of those old canes that are beginning to go off, they could be shortened back now to allow the new canes to grow. Okay, and how, how long will that fruiting period, the autumn fruiting period, last for a few? Well, I would keep an eye on the raspberries. I, I had a few last weekend myself. Very good. And I was looking at them again last night and and those that hadn't ripened last Saturday were beginning to ripen now. So they tend to ripen very quickly over a two or three week period. So do keep an eye on them and particularly with the sort of weather we're having, they ripen very, very quickly. So, you know, you you should be picking them kind of weekly for the next two to three weeks. And once once we get to the early part of October, they're ready for pruning back at that stage. Strawberry runners. If you've got strawberries Mm. in your garden and they produce runners that have rooted, now is the time to cut them off the mother plant, lift them and plant them somewhere else. So create maybe a small ridge or a raised bed and plant those young runner plants now out into a new area of the garden or put them up, plant them up into pots yeah. for planting elsewhere, maybe in the springtime. Right. And will they, how will they survive if they're outside? They're Perfect. okay over the wintertime. Actually, strawberries are better outside. So if you have strawberries, say, in your tunnel or greenhouse mm. in pots, I would cut them back now and put them outside for the winter because they need the actual frost and cold temperatures to produce flower buds. So often when they're left in a greenhouse or tunnel, if we get a mild winter, they don't particularly flower well the following spring. They get lazy probably. They do. and Well, they need that chill, that, yeah. that cool... Uh, the winter kind of triggers the plant to produce flower buds. So strawberries are actually better out of doors, even though they get bet and battered and they look miserable (laughs) for the winter. And you you think they're not going to survive. (laughs) Exactly. They do very well. They're totally frost hardy. What what actually puts them uh, off a little bit is very wet ground. So they're often better planted on a ridge or a drill or raised area or brilliant in, in pots and containers where you've got good drainage. But if you've got little runners 
you often see those yes. rather than dumping them take them cut them off the mother plant and replant them now into a new area space them about a foot apart and you'll have brilliant strawberries by um, next summer bindweed I've noticed a lot of bindweed that's the guy that the convolvulus mm-hmm. that wraps itself up through hedges and trees and, and all of that you'll, it's flowering at the moment so it produces these white trumpet shaped flowers mm-hmm. this is the time it's at its weakest point because it's putting all the energy into flowers and seed so this is the time to kill it if right. you want to kill it yes so if it's growing up a, a say a hedge which it traditionally does you obviously you can't just spray the whole hedge because you're going to damage the hedge but at this time of year if you use the roundup gel we talked about it before it's basically roundup that's made up into a special gel like hair gel mm-hmm. and if you put the leaf of the bindweed in put on a plastic glove onto your hand clasp the leaf and then rub the leaf with a little bit of the Roundup gel. That'll bring the treatment down into the roots of bindweed and kill it off because there's no point pulling it at ground level because it just comes, comes again. Back, it's got yeah. a very thick white root that just springs back up again in springtime. So this is the time of year. The other plants, um, brambles, are, are quite susceptible to it at this time of year as well. Right. So, you know, if you've got brambles, if you've got um, bindweed, Anything that's flowering or fruiting at the moment, it's at its weakest point and it's a good time to treat it. Or you can unwind the the bindweed off the tree or the plant it's on, put it onto the ground and then, and then treat, treat it with it. a traditional weed killer. But right. the, the gel works really well at this time of year. So if you have any spot treating to do, uh, weed killers actually work very well in late autumn because the weeds are naturally flowering, they're producing seed, they're at their weakest point and they're beginning to die back themselves so they bring the treatment back into the roots. So particularly bindweed, I've noticed a lot of it around and uh, particularly we have it through a hedge, the gel works very effectively on it. Very good. So they're the kind of things. Okay, um, well, so lots to be done. I mentioned last week the pruning of hedges. Yes. If you haven't trimmed the hedges, give them light trimming back now. So you know the weather conditions, and it's a, it's a really good thing to do at this time of year, just to tidy them back. Not heavy, any heavy pruning. Just shaping the hedge back now, and just kind of tidying it up. And it's really great weather for planting. The soil conditions are really good. So if you're thinking of putting in trees or shrubs or a hedge, then this sort of weather conditions are superb like the soil is really really easy to dig and uh, plants will continue to grow if you plant a tree at this time of year the roots continue to grow through the winter period even though there's not a lot of foliage yes. growth the, the roots are continuing to grow so you've got a better established plant before the spring, the spring of next year and the other thing i mentioned last week was the sowing of lawns yes so if you're interested in putting in a lawn i mean you can't you cannot get better weather than we have at the moment uh, do rem- remove any existing weeds or grass that are there mm-hmm. before you till the soil and um, you can still sow lawn seed right up until the middle of October. Right. So it's a really good, or if you have to patch, if there are a few bare patches in the yeah. lawn, anything like that they're the sort of jobs. To get out there and get those done. Exactly. Great stuff. Now we have a good few questions for you Porik. Um, so we're going to take a quick little break first of all, coming up on 23 minutes past 9 o'clock. Uh, if you do have a, a specific query for Porik on the programme this morning uh, two most immediate ways are by texting us on 087 41 with thanks to C and C Cellular or you can phone us either. Uh, Teresa Art is taking calls this morning on 0818 3055. 
Okay, you're very welcome back. Now, Porek, a good few questions for you. We're going to start with roses. Okay. So somebody's wondering, uh, Khan, is it okay to trim back the rose rose trees now and also the nice coloured ivy? Can we slip it and set it on another wall? Okay, well, remember the roses are still flowering really well and they'll flower for mm. at least another five or six weeks. A little bit of liquid feeding actually on them now will... will encourage more flowers right. if anything else so the only thing I'd be doing with roses is is deadheading taking off any old flowers that are beginning to go over mm-hmm. so remove the flower in about six inches of the stem give it a good liquid feed and that'll kick back into growth and flower possibly in another four or five weeks for you uh, you can take cuttings from roses at this time of year exactly like we've done this morning with the geranium yeah. uh, in in regards to the coloured ivy that's Virginia creeper and the best way you can propagate it by cuttings if right. you wish but also you can you can pin it to the ground. So like a like a strawberry runner. If you take the stem, get get a knife and just <clears throat> give the, the, the stem kind of a, take off the kind of bottom layer of bark, just so a light scraping on the stem, very, very light scraping on the stem and pin the stem to the soil. Mm-hmm. So literally pin it right to the soil. So take maybe a, a three foot stem off the the coloured um, the Virginia creeper leave it attached of course to the mother plant but spread it on the soil and pin it down in a couple of areas two or three areas and leave it there for the winter period because it's touching the soil roots will be initiated and those plants can be dug up in the springtime and replanted and you'll often find Virginia creeper will have self-propagated itself where a stem falls onto the soil and it's in contact with the soil the plant is triggered to produce roots at that point so it's a very very easy plant to propagate from both cuttings and as runners and and now is the time to do it Quite Um, and they're really starting to look gorgeous Ah they're lovely like if this weather stays I mean the autumn colour is just going to be fantastic this year Yeah you can sense it all right. Now a listener has a small garden and they'd like to grow some fruiting plants in pots is that possible and what types might you suggest? Absolutely well to be honest nearly all all fruiting plants do well in, in containers now naturally You've got to select the container, the size of the container to suit the plant. But mm-hmm. I suppose the, the within garden centres at the moment, you've got quite a lot of apple trees, pear trees. Um, you know, most of the, the kind of top fruit are available now on dwarf rootstock. So there are varieties of apples like the coronet apples that are very miniature by, by nature and they do very well in pots and containers. So they have a very small root structure because they've been grafted onto dwarf root stocks. So look for, for, if you want to grow apples, look for the coronet family. Look for some family trees, which means that you've got one or two or three varieties grafted onto the one tree. So they're great in pots because they'll pollinate themselves. But also plants like blueberries. I think I was saying to you last week, I was in Keeling's Fruit Farm in Dublin yes. a couple of weeks back and they grow all their blueberries commercially in pots because really? they do yeah which I, which I was surprised <laughs> and they do it for two reasons A because blueberries like an acid free soil so they like a, a lime free soil so you can obviously just put it into lime free compost but they also found that they have less disease problems and the plants fruit better in containers so literally on the farm they've got just hundreds of pots Lots. and fantastic blueberries they were about four or five feet high well, hundreds of fruit on them. So as long as you water well and yeah. feed well, they do very well in pots. Strawberries do brilliantly in pots and hanging baskets, window boxes, uh, shallow pots, grow bags, they do super. Um, so all of those, like, you know, even the cranberries could be grown in, in uh, containers. They like an acid soil as well. So apples, dwarf pears, blueberries, 
even gooseberries, blackcurrants, they tend to get a bit bigger and a bit, bit more unwielding. But certainly the um, you know more popular fruit like strawberries, um, stra- strawberries, blueberries, apples, brilliant in pots and a great time actually to plant fruit in the garden. The great thing about growing them in pots as well that in time, if you want, you can always move them on into a garden situation. So you can grow so you them can plant for, them out. If you want. Yeah. If you want. Or you can grow them in the pots for, for many, many years. So it's a great way to grow fruit, particularly if you've got a small garden. Now I noticed you actually had another question in about growing apples as espaliers. Yes. Right. So what that means, give us that question uh, and okay. just bear, I can bear with tie you the two for, together. Uh, two seconds now till I just locate it. Um Sorry, no, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Actually, it was uh, pear maidens. Okay. Yeah, but similar. Right. As, uh, yeah, so um, a listener is training some pear maidens on espaliers on wires. The arms are very unequal and they're wondering how did they get them to grow more equally? Okay, so what they're doing is buying one-year-old pear trees. So they're maidens, they have never fruited and they're training them against a wall, which is a great way to grow fruit if you've got a small garden. So using the walls... And literally what you do is you plant the maiden, you cut it back to about within about 18 inches from soil level. It produces three new shoots the following spring. You train two of them laterally, left and right, and you train one vertically. Oh, so the, so the maiden is kind of the, the, the core part of it. The, ma- the maiden is, is just a single stem, right. one single stem. And because you've got it young, you can train it and you can fan train it or grow it as an espalier, which is growing it literally parallel on wires up along the, the height of the wall. So say the wall is six or eight feet mm-hmm. high, it's in a sunny location, it's a great way to grow apples, pears, fruiting cherries, plum trees, any of those top fruits can be grown as espaliers. Peaches, nectarines, in the Botanic Gardens they have them growing outside on walls oh, really? as espaliers and they fruit extremely well. Here in the West we, we need a little bit more protection unless you've got a really protected garden. Fig trees grow really well as well. So if you've got a small garden, you grow them in pots, yeah. but you can also use walls particularly south-facing walls, to grow the fruit on. And would, I suppose, the fact that I'm just trying to think, you know, if you have good sunshine and your wall is absorbing a certain amount of heat, is that kind of benefiting the thing? Absolutely. It acts like a storage heater. Right. And uh, so it's it's trapping the heat during the day, releasing it back to the trees at night time. So it's keeping the peach trees frost-free and and warm. And so you use, and that's exactly the other listener that has it for the espalier, growing the espalier. It's a great way to grow fruiting plants against a wall because they've got the protection of the wall first of all but also they're taking up minimal amount of space on the wall. Now you can actually buy trees as espaliers so if you go to your local garden centre and ask them to get you a a pre-trained tree you can buy them as espaliers so they might be four or five years old but they've already been trained to form the lovely branches. The question about... yeah. yeah. So now is the time to actually prune back espalier plants. So all you do is just... Uh, naturally enough, every branch is never going to grow at the same rate and the same balanced growth. So just prune it back, just shape the actual branches, equal up, is that the word? Balance up, make them equal. So now now is the time to actually cut them back. Add some symmetry. Exactly, and just tidy them back, tie in the branches on the wires and the, 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 the branches actually follow the shape of the wire so they'll spread out along. So you can quite safely prune them back now and start shaping the actual espalier. Okay, and you can even them up that way. Even them up. 
Great. Exactly. Um, now, uh, a listener, Bernie, good morning, in Claire Morris, has sown mountain ash and birch approximately three years ago. They're very leggy and they're wondering, can they find wind, oh, the winter wind breaks some branches. So what is the situation regarding pruning and shaping them? Uh, would they do it now or when should they do yeah, it? Yeah, no, well, first of all, the, the mountain ash, after three years, it probably, they're flowering and they're, they're showing some fruit at the moment. Mm. They're actually lovely everywhere at the moment. So the, the answer is yes, I would prune them back. I would leave it until probably October. Wait till the leaves fall off the trees and give the birds an opportunity to eat the berries. So leave them for another couple of weeks but do prune them back and that applies to all trees. When you plant a tree in the garden the, generally the garden centres have done some work in terms of shaping the tree to get it nice and full and bushy but that shouldn't stop there. For the next two to three years after planting a tree you need to continue that pruning to, to develop the shape um, and, and by pruning it back you're also developing the strength in the tree as well. So typically what I would do is remove the lower branches so any branch from soil level up to about four feet up to about shoulder height or maybe five feet in height prune all those branches off the tree so you end up with a nice clean stem and a round head particularly for mountain ash and particularly for silver birch because birch are grown for the lovely white bark and if you've got branches going down to ground level it hides all of that so a nice clean stem so the listener could actually do that now or wait till October if they wish. And then the top branches, any of those branches at the very top, they can all be shortened back as well by anything up to half of this year's growth. Right. So say they made two feet of growth, you shorten them back by a foot or 18 inches. And that'll help to strengthen up the head of the tree and give it a better structure. Because all trees grow straight up into the air. Until you prune them back, they really don't start to branch or start to shape. Think of an ash tree, a young ash as it's growing. It grows straight up into the air until it gets a lot older. But if you prune the top of it, it starts starts to bush out. Exactly. And you end up in a nicer, fuller, denser plant that the wind won't do as much damage to. Okay. So, by all means, cut the cut the the side stems from soil level up to about four feet. Remove all of those. So you have a nice clean stem, and then in October, shorten back all the branches by a foot to eighteen inches. Great. Uh, last autumn, my Michaelmas daisies had a white deposit on the leaves, which eventually spoiled the flowers. How do we stop this this autumn? Right. Well, that's that's uh, powdery mildew which is okay. very common on, it's actually very common this year again, and Michaelmas daisies, they're the, the lovely daisy flowers, and they're in flower at the moment, the asters, and they're very susceptible to it. So what you need is just a little bit of fungicide. Right. You can use um, Fungus Clear is a very good product. Apply that now, and that'll prevent mildew coming on the plant. So if you see that white deposit on, you'll often see it on maples, Japanese maples, and also large-leafed maples. If you see it on trees, it's like flower that has been dusted onto the leaf. And uh, when we get this kind of dry, very dry weather, particularly if plants are under stress, if they're a little bit dry, if they're in pots or containers or the soil is quite dry, powdery mildew tends to be more of a problem. But Michaelmas daisies are renowned for getting it. So um, a little bit of fungus clear, mix it in water, apply it to the foliage now and that'll just prevent it from occurring. Now, a listener has a lot of Swiss chard growing with the frost in winter. They're wondering, will that kill it off or can they protect it? Well, it, it, you, the answer is yes, you can. And um, Swiss chard will, chard will start will continue to grow till probably the end of November out of doors quite happily. It'll really only go back if we get very hard weather. So you could put some garden fleece on it at that mm-hmm. time of year. Or indeed, you could dig some of the plants up 
and bring them inside into a greenhouse or tunnel and they continue to grow right through the winter period because with Swiss chard you're using the stems like you use rhubarb stems yes. uh, so in a, a greenhouse or tunnel area it'll, it'll continue to produce all winter long so either put the garden fleece on it or, or do both from November on and lift maybe one or two of the clumps and bring them in put them into a pot and keep them indoors for the winter period lovely in the, in the greenhouse or tunnel now this is an interesting one uh, why are some of my carrots white in colour they look and smell like carrots but they're white are they safe to eat yes they are are they a variety or yeah well oh. carrots the wild carrot the actual if you go back to the I mean, carrots go back to the Romans, the Greeks, uh, you know, they go back to, I think it even goes back further than that. They found carrot seed in, uh, you know, going back many, hundreds, of thousands of years. So the, the wild carrot, the actual wild carrot uh, has a white root. Oh, so the orange carrot is, is, a, is a man-made construct Made by or the Dutch. Or, or bred by the Dutch in particular. They made the orange carrot most popular. I mean, carrots, you've got them in white, purple, red, orange and all various shades of orange yes. kind of from a washy orange right up to a kind of a pumpkin orange so they're so you can the white varieties are available and uh, they often find with the white varieties that the flavor is better there's a better taste the better flavor the purple carrots actually uh, when, you, when you see them in the shops they're yeah. they're when you boil them they lose their color they go back to orange Oh, you, in so the water. Bit, okay, so they're more of a salad carrot then. You, yeah, well, they're, it, it's just people <laughs> often... the colour. The people often grow them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But once you boil them, you lose you the colour. You lose colour, yeah, so you in, eat them the raw. Yeah. Whereas the white stay true to type. They, they stay white, obviously like parsnips, but the flavour is far, far better. So, so it's obviously in the packet of seed that the listener got, there was some white seed. seed. And, and that's what you got. So they're totally... They're, they're, you'll actually find them a better flavoured carrot than... The orange. So the white carrot is kind of the original of the species, nearly. Yeah, well, it's it's the white carrot is the is the uh, relates to the to the wild carrot. Right. Um, and you know, in the carrot family, you've things like parsley, and you've got uh, you know, there's lots of other plants that are used for foliage. But but the yeah, the original root is white. Then the purple became the purple color was mm. kind of bred from that, and then the Dutch made the yellow, the orange, the the popular. Okay, so that's oh, so all right. There you, go. there you go. So no, look at go back to the question. It's so they're, they're, they're totally, safe, they absolutely, are totally yeah. edible and delicious. According, delicious. You'll find the flavour actually far, far sweeter, far nicer than the traditional carrot form. Very interesting. Yeah. Now a listener has trailing petunias this summer, and they opened and they died, and some didn't open at all. What would be wrong? Was it the humidity at the beginning of the summer? Well, they it wonder? sounds like a grey mold, which which does it um, attack petunias and, and many plants and high humidity uh, brings grey mould onto the plants. Where you see that happening what I would have done was prune, cut them back, actually trimmed off all the, the side stems give them a good hard sharp cutting back in May and liquid fed them and they'd have come back into growth again and flowered for you. So really at this stage it's it's really too late to do anything with okay. them. But for next year keep an eye out for that. You could also treat them with the fungus clear as well in April and May uh, particularly if the weather is wet. Remember May this year was cold. Yes. It was cold after April being so, so good. Lovely, yeah. And we did see there was quite a bit of uh, grey mould around particularly on petunias. So um, nothing to really do at this time of year really for next year put a little bit of the fungus clear on in, in early spring. Summer. Now, we have a laurel hedge growing since summer. It was healthy, but the last few weeks there's something eating it, making brown little holes in the leaves. What do you think it is? And would you have a suggestion to solve it? Okay. 
What do you think? I think I think it might be shot hole fungus. Yeah, well, that's, that's and that's, <laughs> I've had it myself. Yeah. Well, there you go. So you know what it, what it is yeah. on the leaves. You get that kind of peppering, like like if the the leaves have been peppered with shot hole, um, with a blast like, from the yeah. shotgun type of thing. So if if it's if it's little speckles, little holes on the leaves right through the leaf, and they're very round. They're very round, yeah, yeah and they're in the right through the whole leaf. Um, then that's shot hole fungus, which is more. Uh, a growing condition than a, an actual disease. So when the plants are, if they're hungry, if they're a bit stressed, you tend to get that shot hole fungus. A good feeding will actually bring them, bring that out of them. So if it's that, don't worry too much about them. Just trim them back, tidy them up. I wouldn't fi- feed them at this time of year. Wait till next spring, give them a good feed then. Um, but if it's if there are notches being ate out of the leaf, yeah. so if there's kind of physical notches around the edge of the leaves, that could be vine weevil damage at this at this time of year. Um, and if it's that, to be honest, our laurel is so hardy and so fast growing mm. where you get a bit of pest damage it's really nothing to worry about I would just trim it back now tidy it up and wait until next spring and give it a good feed then Okay, great uh, We're going to take a quick break we still have loads of questions so stay with us Now you're welcome back Pork, this is an interesting one Somebody's wondering how do you set up a propagation bed using a heat cable? Okay, so what they're, they're so they're they're really that sounds going, very complicated. Well, they're going up market. So oh, what right, they're doing okay. is they're creating the heat cable. The idea of the heat cable is to give what we call bottom heat. So it's like an electric blanket. It's like underfloor heating. It's like underfloor heating, and what it so it creates that really warm conditions at the base of the cutting, so the the uh, the cutting roots very very quickly and very readily and you get a very uniformed and even rooting. So normally heated cables would be used or a propagation box like that would be used for more difficult cutting, say like <clears throat> camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, which are a little bit more tricky right. to propagate. It also can be used for germinating seed, particularly early in the springtime. So what you do is you make up a box, so it can be a timber box, and um, you fill you put in something like uh, airboard at the bottom of the box for insulation. And then you fill that with a sand and you lay the cables in the sand, put a layer of sand over that again. And then depending on whether you want to root the cuttings directly into the hot box, you can put compost in there or you can then just sit your trays or your pots that you've put the cuttings into, into the actual on the top of the sand. So the cables provide that bottom heat for cuttings or for sowing seed and they give that kind of uniform it's like sitting them on an electric blanket and it provides that bottom heat and gets them to germinate or gets them to root faster so depending on, on the, what cables they've got and the length of the cables will determine how big of a propagation box okay. you create and they are specific cables that you buy for this purpose they are they're insulated okay. special cables they're generally thermostatically controlled to keep it at a very uniform heat um, what I would suggest is, is Google well, they're often called hot boxes hot box uh, or propagation box Google put into into Google and it'll get to give you the actual specific measurements and the amount of sand you're going to need and so on but it's a great way particularly if you've got say a greenhouse or a tunnel that yeah. you can set it up in or um, if you're interested in propagating more difficult plants or sowing seed very early in the year but for, for what I've done this morning in terms of the geraniums or fuchsias yeah. or lavateria or hydrangeas there you don't need electric cables they will germinate and propagate or, or root 
very readily on your windowsill. Okay, well, I won't be going with the hot box. <laughs> that. But the best of luck to the person who is. Yeah. Uh, now, we have somebody living beside the sea wondering what plants will be suitable to provide them with a hedge or screen. They're looking for something that will be about six foot for shelter and the salt and wind is a problem in this location. Of course. Well, mm. in most seaside areas, yes. you're going to get that. So, well, what comes to mind straight away is is um, two probably the best hedges would be Iliagnus avengi, which is a silver-leafed, uh, very robust, very easy to grow tolerates the salt and, and wind. It's mm-hmm. evergreen. It's perfect for six feet, seven feet in height. It makes a really dense hedge. There's another good plant called Hippophae rhamnoides, which is sea buckthorn. It actually grows, uh, it's got lovely silver leaves, like uh, like a willow leaf. Oh. There's lovely orange berries actually on it. You'll see it on very pretty. Yeah, and it's, it's, um, it's probably a plant that isn't planted enough, but particularly does particularly well in seaside areas. Now it is deciduous. It does shed its leaf in winter, right. but it makes a very good... T- wind tolerant hedge in in seaside areas. The other thing you could consider doing is planting a mixed hedge of tough plants like things like flowering red currant, um, white thorn, black thorn, those kind of more robust viburnums and creating kind of nearly like a hedgerow in a seaside area. But if you really want kind of a solid wall of, of protection, Evergreen, then you won't beat that Iliagnus yes. avengii. It's it's probably one of the best seaside hedges to put in. So it's a bit like the seaside equivalent of the laurel. For, it is. For, it for, it for, is for, for inland. Yeah, it's relatively fast growing. It's it's silver leaves, evergreen, and makes a good thick hedge up to maybe two feet, three feet in diameter, and you can let it grow to whatever height you want. So it's kind of as an initial defence yes. against the salt and the air. It's it's probably one of the better. Now, Sean in Tume is wondering what to do with hydrangeas. They were beautiful all summer, but now they're withered. Wondering, can he deadhead them? They're not looking very good at the minute. Right, well, the, naturally enough, the flowers will begin to wither and, and go over. Now, generally, traditionally, they're left on the plant because they do provide a certain level of weather protection for the plant during the winter period. But having said that, if you want to remove them and tie them back, then you could prune out those flowering shoots. So where you've got the dead flower, Mm -hmm. follow that stem back right right down to soil level and prune it out completely. Leave the other shoots alone. Anything that doesn't bear a flower, that's where the flowers are going to be born next to summer. So just selectively cut out those old flowers with their stem right back to soil level and you'll tidy the plant up. Um, So you can either leave them withered on the plant and Mm -hmm. a lot of people actually like the look of them over the winter period. Some people will even cut them, spray them and bring them indoors as a kind of a a flower arranging. Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. can be used that way. Or if you wish to tidy them up now then just prune out the shoots that have flowered this year. Okay, again, it was a great year for hydrangeas. An awful lot of colour. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, some some lovely ones. Um, Okay, Tommy has two blueberry or one or two blueberry trees. Wondering, can he move them to another location? They're three years old at the moment. Yes, you can, no problem at all. But don't move them just yet. Blueberries are actually, I was looking at my own last night, they're beginning to colour lovely. They're like a Virginia creeper. They're a brilliant orange and red for the autumn and early winter period. They're deciduous, so they shed their leaves. So wait until they've dropped their foliage. Give them a light pruning back, lift them and replant them. Now, remember that you do need acid soil, lime-free soil. So get yourself a couple of bags of brown gold or an ericaceous uh, compost. Add some of the ericaceous fertilizer to that uh, when you're planting them again. So if you put them into pots, then that's fine. Or if you put them into a new part of the garden, put in. make sure you put in some uh, lime-free compost. Because blueberries are a, a long term. I think I said this last week. Mm. <clears throat> they'll, they'll last for 50 or 60 years in the garden. So, they're you know, it's worth preparing the soil well. Organic matter like farm of manure, 
uh, if you've got old stable manure, brilliant for blueberries. Dig it into the soil or even if you've got them growing in the garden, use it as a mulch around the base of them. Right. So, but yeah, no problem moving them. Leave but them for another just, four just weeks, five weeks and then transplant them. Now, uh, Anne is wondering, do you follow the same rule for propagating roses as what we described for yeah. the um, geranium there? Well, for roses, it's quite simple. Think of a pencil. So pencil length, pencil thickness, strip off all the flowers, strip off all the leaves into a bit of rooting powder. And then, now you can put some of the cuttings in pots, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, but for kind of taller cuttings like roses or black currants or, you know, some buddleias that you're taking maybe a longer stemmed cutting, yep. they can go directly out into the garden soil. So you can dig out a trench, fill it with compost and a bit of sand and literally put them like soldiers one after the other uh, into the trench. Make sure you put the rooting powder on the base of the cutting, backfill the trench and leave them alone till springtime and you'll see them starting to sprout in the spring, dig them up and transplant them wherever you want them to grow. And a lot of interest about uh, sowing from cuttings this morning, Porrick. Um Tess wonders, when you're setting slips, can you set them directly into the ground? Well, depending on what they are. If it's, if it's things like... Um, you know, short cuttings mm. like that. I did the geranium this morning. Say you're doing a few hydrangeas and a few shrubs. I would prefer to put them into trays or pots because you can control the conditions a little bit better. For things like roses, blackcurrants, gooseberries, willow, uh, you know, those longer pencil thick, yeah. then they're better. Slightly woodier. I woodier, suppose, yeah. hardier type stuff with a longer stem, then put them outside into the garden because they'll tolerate the frost well and there's, there's no, no issues whatsoever. Okay. But I suppose you're probably running a little bit of a risk of a rate of attrition, higher rate of attrition if you're If they're outside, if they're the yeah. Whereas yeah. if you have them in a pot, you've covered them with a nice polythene bag, you're sitting them on the windowsill inside. I mean, you've got the perfect conditions there for them to root very, very... You're nearly creating the same conditions as, as the heated cable. Okay. You know, you're as coming as close to that as you can. So, whereas outside, not enough. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're going yeah. to be challenged. So, so put the more robust longer cuttings out of outdoors. And look, at give it a go. I mean, you won't find, if you take 50 cuttings, you get 48 of them to grow. <laughs> They'll always will be, you? ah, you will. <laughs> he said it them. here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Even things like hedging plants, like yeah. laurel hedging, they're well worth to have a go and just try them. Oh, yeah, no, there's, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. Most of them will, 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 will. Yeah, you'll have the odds. Certain there, plants right? like camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, I mentioned those already. They're more tricky. Don't bother trying to do those. They're too tricky to do. Stick to the more traditional plants. Okay. Now, a listener has a rough a patch of soil and they're wondering if they can plant it with wildflower meadow uh, flowers. They want a low maintenance area but they'd like some flowers. What would be your recommendation? Yeah, well, well, you're actually at the perfect time of year. The first thing to do is to remove any existing vegetation that's there. So if there's any weeds or grass or whatever, treat the area with something like the Weed Free 360 or a little bit of Roundup because that will kill off what's there without contaminating the soil. Once that's dead, it's just a matter of slightly cultivating the soil so that you've got some loose soil to put the seed into and wildflower seed can be sown at this time of year so um, really just measure the area go to your local garden centre they'll order you in a pack of wildflower seed that would be suitable for the area so depending on whether it's a shaded area whether it's full sun whether it's exposed will, de will determine really the kind of wildflower mix that you should put in. Remember also you can plant bulbs at this time of year. So bluebells, snowdrops, winter aconites, all of those plants that would be associated with a wildflower meadow can also be planted as a mixture and they will come into flower early oh, in yeah. the spring and then the wildflower meadow will, will start to grow then through the summer and flower more towards, you know, June, July, August, September. So it's a great time to put in wildflower meadows. They are easy to maintain, mm. but remember 
you know, it needs to be in an area of the garden that's that's you don't mind it growing a little bit wild, a little bit uh, little, a little bit like a wild me- yeah. meadow. So, so perfect for areas, rough areas of the garden where you want to kind of... And you're not too worried about the rules. Exactly. Yeah. And, and where you can let these plants self-seed, which they're seeding at the moment, so they have to be left at this time of year for the natural seed to, to drop back to the soil again. It's actually a lovely idea um, to have maybe the bluebells and stuff like that first and then to have, exactly. you know, the later flowers. And I mean, there's I think there's nothing more beautiful than to see, you know, bluebells in particularly, Trips. you know, under trees and stuff like yeah. that. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe we're semi-answering the next question. Uh, loved the programme last week about planting flowers from bulbs. We have a shaded area under ash trees. Would love to plant flowers with bulbs. What would be good? Okay, well, the great thing about ash is that ash doesn't come into leaf until it's one of the last trees to come into leaves so it's nearly the 1st of May right. when an ash when ash um, so so the great thing about that is that it's not it's not producing a huge canopy of foliage early in the spring so what would I plant at this time of year I would plant winter aconites that flower in December snowdrops that flower in January crocuses would be brilliant whole drifts of crocuses in under the trees would be lovely cyclamen which would flower in spring or autumn depending on the variety some of the dwarf daffodils um, bluebells that we mentioned already. So any of those bulbs will be flowering from December right up until early May uh, before the ash come into leaf. So no problem whatsoever planting bulbs and now is a good time to do them. Plant them in groups of sevens or nines in clusters and uh, they'll give great, if you plant them now, they'll give a great show of colour this, this coming winter and spring. Okay, just one or two more. Uh, time is ticking along. Uh, what's the best time to move lilies into a bigger pot? Well, you can do it now. If they're in a pot at the moment, yep. you can actually transplant them into a larger pot, no problem whatsoever. It depends what variety of lily it is. But even the calla lilies, they're still in flower, the arum lilies, they can be transplanted quite safely into a larger pot. If you're thinking about kind of uh, moving plants, say uh, repotting house plants, and th- this is a good time of year to do all of that. Anything that's in a pot, you can transplant it at any time of year, but autumn is a good time. The other thing is if you want to move shrubs, mm. particularly evergreen shrubs, conifers or plants that retain their foliage. September is a good month. You can move evergreen plants earlier than you can move deciduous plants. So those that drop their leaves like hydrangeas or the or the, the blueberries that we talked about, leave them till the leaves have fallen. But evergreen shrubs like conifers, like camellias, like rhododendrons, like azaleas, if you want to move those plants, this month is actually a great time to do it. And soil conditions are ideal at the moment. The main thing is that newly planted plants get a good heavy watering and so if listeners have pl- planted shrubs say in the last two or three weeks right. make sure you're watering them because things are, are, are very dry Okay, and, very and, and this coming week is promised the same we're promised up to so 22 degrees so you know there's no rain promised yeah, so, so give them, do irrigate give, yeah, give them do, a drop of water yeah. finally can ranunculus be lifted and separated now? Well, ranunculus is grown. Um, it, it it doesn't. To produce... those of us who are uninitiated, okay. what is ranunculus? Ranunculus. Well, it's actually uh, it's related to the buttercup, the wild buttercups. <laughs> Sounds far more exotic. But it is. Oh no, it is. <laughs> oh, the the ranunculus plant itself produces uh, a beautiful big double flower right. in. April, May, March, April, May. It flowers very early in the season. Lovely, lovely plant. It only grows about a foot in Mm. height. But it doesn't produce bulbs like daffodils where they multiply. So it tends to just replace the bulb that's there. So it's not a bulb that... that That's going to multiply. Exactly. So what I would do is buy some fresh ranunculus bulbs or sow them from seed. Mm -hmm. And you can do both at this time of year. But it's a lovely plant. All the plants come available. We generally have them kind of late February, March of next year if you want to replant them. Okay. Really easy plant to grow. 
Great stuff. So lots to be at over the weekend, Maureen. Lots to be on. Just to mention, next Saturday, yes. uh, I'm actually giving a, a talk in the Museum of Country Life oh, from good. 3 to 4 o'clock. It's on the, the museum's website. So it's in the Museum of Country Life in Turlock. That's next Saturday. And in a particular topic or in I'm doing general? autumn, autumn gardening. So Very what good. to do in your garden for autumn. Um, so I'll be covering a lot of what I'm talking about. Sure. But I'll, it'll be a slideshow and I'll be going through and I'll show people how to take some cuttings. So that's next Saturday. I'll remind people next Saturday morning. Great. Um, from three to four o'clock down in the Turlock Museum. You do need to book, so That's maybe give them a ring yep. or, or book online, and um, so I'll be there. Okay, great stuff. We'll remind you of that again uh, on next Saturday, but uh, do check out their website in the meantime if you want to book a place there. Thanks indeed, Porik. That's our lot for this morning. Uh, Michael Neary is up after the news at 10, which is on the way next with Angelina Nugent. From me, until next Saturday, a very good morning to you. Enjoy the weekend.